my dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal i mean it was just a little rundown shack I'm kind of an addictive person if i ever get on drugs i feel like it's over <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back. First podcast we've done a little bit, been turkey hunting all over the place, and uh, the podcast is back. We got a really interesting guest and probably one of the top two or three that we've had requested from the duck hunting community, Jim Ronquist, and we're excited to have Jim. I knew we would have him on here. He's one of the first people that we asked, and he said he would come on, but since we've started this podcast, Jim has gone through a couple changes in his life and career, too. It's turkey season. We've gotten duck and turkey hunting questions, so without further ado, we'll get into it. Jim, thank you for coming on. Man, I'm just proud to be here, buddy. I, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of this deal with you and Brother Ira. Well, I know we are, too. I know Ira is. Dang right, buddy. Always good to have Jimbo on here and hear his perspective on stuff. And I'm sure I've heard parts of the story, but and I through the years, but uh, it'll be good to to go through that stuff again. Jim, um, so you're on the road right now. Where are you coming back from? I am on my way home from Western Nebraska. I've been in can uh, Central Kansas, and then from there to Western Nebraska, and then now headed towards home. And, Sadly, my turkey season may be over, but it's it's hard to be going through Missouri and not be turkey hunting and it's turkey season. I get that feeling every day. I drive out of my driveway, try to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you, With buddy. no tags in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, we'll get into turkey hunting for sure. Jim, The most of the questions we had and most of the things I think our listener would want to hear. So you – kind of backtracking here but you have recently taken a new position kind of your career has kind of taken a a, a turn a, a step whatever you want to call it here recently and something that I would say most folks that follow the outdoor industry you know it's kind of like whenever you're watching these guys when you're growing up in the industry it's kind of like whenever your teacher tells you she's taking a new job or your football coach tells you he's taking a new job it's like what you know what about us you know it's kind of it's just when you're a staple somewhere it's good and bad because when you're a staple somewhere and in a, in a position it's kind of a shock to people um whenever you whenever you make a change but it's been for all accounts a great change so let's we want to hit on that but before we do let's go back and let's take it through Jim Ronquest at how you got started in the outdoor industry and we'll kind of work up to the point we're at now so when you got out of school, you hunted obviously growing up and stuff, but kind of start us with your story, how you got started into the industry or whatever you want to call it, hunting, guiding, calling, whatever. Just go ahead and take us through that story. And what you did before that. Man, you bet. And yeah, yeah, yeah yes, take sir. us through your career, but even before the industry. Kind of the, 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 the abbreviated version of Jimbo's life story. That's right. Right. Um, yeah, that's easy. That's easy because it's short. It's a short, very short story, um, <laughs> kind of like kind of like the short bus. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, that being said, um, I was fortunate to grow up in a hunting family. Um, my dad worked for a large construction company. Um, we moved around quite a bit as kids, a little bit like army kids to some degree. He would be like a project manager, and we would uh, we'd be on a job and get transferred from. From job to job, you know, uh, look here, I've done got on the wrong highway. Uh, we get transferred from place to place, and 
fortunately, because not only mom and dad enjoyed the outdoors, I had an older brother and sister that did. Um, we've always lived places that outdoor opportunity was close at hand from bass fishing on Barkley and Kentucky Lake to uh, started duck hunting in West Kentucky. I uh, was born in the Missouri Ozarks, so turkey hunting was in my blood from an early age. Um, again, moved around for different places, Kentucky, Tennessee, and back to Missouri, graduate. So I started elementary school in Missouri. We moved to Kentucky, but I wound up graduating high school from Wentzville, Missouri. So I went my last two years of high school up there, but all the time in between that was mostly uh, Western Kentucky, Tennessee, um, Southern Illinois, kind of that region of the world. So wound up, got out of high school, um, didn't have sense enough to go to college. Interestingly enough, Jimbo graduated high school right here in the backyard of where I live now. And some of my employees and friends uh, graduated high school and knew Jim through through high school. So it's kind of cool. They called him Tiger. Yes. Yes. My family nickname was Tiger. There you go. Didn't uh, know that. Yeah, there you go. So if you ever, uh, my mother, this is kind of an offshoot down a rabbit hole here. Um, um, my mother wanted to put Tiger on my birth certificate. And I could have been Tiger before Tiger Woods. And Lord knows I can't <laughs> hit no golf ball around. Um, <laughs> But here's a funny story. I was talking to y'all, and I got on the wrong highway. I had wound up in Oklahoma. Oh, I got to turn around. Oh, man. That is not where you're headed. No. Uh, and here's an overpass, and there's no way to turn around. There's a big brick wall, concrete wall in the middle of the road. Um, but anyway, that all being said, back on my storytelling. Um, so, got out of high school and didn't have sense enough to go to college, so – uh, wound up going to work in the construction industry. Of course, like everybody else around, you helped out on local farms and put up hay and drove tractors and all the fun stuff. Um, but I wound up going to construction industry um, as a construction laborer. So I've done a little bit of everything from being the, the chainsaw hand on clearing jobs to pouring concrete and all that. And eventually got hurt working at the Alton Lock and Dam. Now, in the process of all that, I was also hunting a lot guiding some part-time during duck season, um, doing things to kind of bolster, was wound up on the pro staff, Primo's pro staff in that time period. And after I got hurt, I man, it's an opportunity to try to make it in the outdoor industry. Um, and for a while there, things were pretty, pretty slim pickings. Um, just having the opportunity was worth something. So, I didn't have a college education, so kind of my next step was to learn by fire, so to speak. And I had the opportunity as a Primo's pro staff guy to go on a couple of trips with them on video trips. And a gentleman by the name of Ron Jolly, who was the head video guy and PR person for Primo's at the time. Now, I've, I've jumped a lot through this story, but um, kind of the inspiration of running a camera and having the opportunity to show people things I got to see was what kind of drove me to want to be in outdoor media and PR and, and then of course product working with products and trying to come up with stuff. Um, so that kind of inspired me to do more. So I worked longer for nothing just to try to learn more about it. And then 
of course, was guiding more and more and started the guide service. Uh, we're up in the early 90s now, uh, started Richardson Tone Guide Service in 1993 or four. Um, of course, was helping Butch out some and ran Richardson Tone Guide Service till 07 and went to work for Rich and Tone full time. But in that time period, running the guide service, helping out Butch and John come in, I was doing a lot of stuff with Rich and Tone, you know, blowing contests and helping out on calls. And I was, had the first person, we brought a lathe in there, the first person to have a, a, a manually operated duplicating lathe, have a little stylus on the bottom that would follow a pattern. And I'd sit in Butch's shop and I'd, uh, I'd drill barrels and I'd, I'd round them out and kind of put the basic shape on them. And then Butch would do the final work on them. Um, so that was kind of my early days in the duck call world right there, which led to producing video for RNT and uh, had the idea to start RNTV. And, and what's funny about the early years of doing RNTV, a lot of the footage was shot with customers at the guide business. And, you know, that was no telling what you was going to get doing that, as you and you and I can both understand. And anyway, that led to to a great career at Rich and Tone, and then this opportunity come along, and um, kind of a new chapter for the hopefully about the next twelve years of my working career, and opportunity to play in a little bigger playing field than just duck calls, um, and pretty exciting to have an opportunity to do everything we got coming. So um, the folks at Drake Waterfowl, Old Tom, Drake Performance Fishing, McAllister um, thought I needed to be their new VP of development. So I have learned in a month into this new role that development means a lot of things. Uh, development means whatever they want you to do. So uh -huh. anyway, there's, there's the short story to me. Well, okay. Other than a wife and a daughter and all that stuff. So, Jim, I want to get into what you're this new venture by far, but I also want to say, so you you kind of just you know you're telling your story and you kind of just say it, but so you you're guiding hunts, but are you already working with Butch at this time? Oh yeah, yeah, that's how that's how it all came together. I, you know, so, so how did you get hooked up with Butch just through the contest calling stage? Yeah, through contest stuff, you know, and blowing duck calls and you know I've it's funny although I graduated I was born in Missouri graduated high school in Missouri but I have lived in Arkansas longer than I've lived anywhere I mean that's that that's home that's where I hang my hat um Missouri is still kind of home you know I always love coming up there um but I got hooked up with Butch in the I gosh I guess the mid to late 80s you know doing stuff and some contest stuff and then that turned into you know, getting serious about duck calling contest and setting a goal to try to win a world championship and blah, da, 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 da. The, the, the rest, as they say, is history. So, so uh, you were guiding. What was that like back in those days? Man, it was pretty fun. So I guided for an outfit out of Jonesboro for a little while. Um, Kit Cullum and his brother, at time, brother on time, Kerry Milner and Charles Petty for a few years. And then, kind of was thinking about starting my own thing and uh, met up with a young man named Jason Coleman. Um, Jason, unfortunately, is no longer with us, but was 
a really good young man just out of high school. Family had some ground, and um, we had a bunch of people looking to go hunting, and I had a little bit of work experience. And uh, Anyway, th that all worked out very well. Jason and I wound up kind of parting ways. We kind of had other directions we wanted to go, uh, but he was very talented duck caller in his own right. And that kind of led into starting the TV thing and doing stuff with Rich and Tone alongside of that, um, kind of telling some of John's story. So when John graduated college, he was a landscape architecture degree, and he was in South Carolina in Hilton Head. And he'd come back, decided to buy the company. Uh, Butch was starting to get in bad health. Uh, so in the process of that, I was kind of going to a few shows and whatnot, kind of trying to get things started. And then John was in a position to move forward and kind of made some changes. He and his wife, Fancy, and then turned Rich and Toned Up Calls into RNT. That was the early days of all the internet stuff, right? So um, we'd read on there and people would refer to Rich and Tone. Instead of spelling that all out, they would write RNT. And that kind of seemed to fit to wasn't necessarily a renaming it's an abbreviation of the name and that that's stuck very well since then so so how so how in those days what what was rnt rnt was a duck call company that was i mean how many employees are we talking how big are we talking as rnt at this oh point? at that point you had john and rusty um i don't know that john was even taking salary um, had a young man in town there that was helping John do some stuff and Rusty and I were kind of just helping on the side. And then I think there for a minute, Rusty was still manager at a John Deere store in Pine Bluff. And, and well, I might be missing something there. Anyway, he got in a position where Rich Tone was doing well enough to pay Rusty full time. And I was still helping from the side doing the guide service and then started producing the first videos for rich for rnt and uh, there wasn't many employees at all there it's, uh john took a little bit helped pay the bills and then was paying rusty and then it started building fairly quick after that it was butch uh, still on at this very point? oh yeah butch was still there and, and i guess to, to be fair butch was getting the salary also um Hey, I got to tell I got to tell a quick story here, real quick. So, speaking of acronyms and RNTV, uh, back in the early days of Facebook, I thought, man, I better I'm gonna hop on Facebook and go to RNTV's Facebook page. So I did a search on RNTV, and guess <laughs> what? Up? Real Negro Television. I'm like, whoop! That's not what I was looking for. Boy, howdy! I've heard a lot of stories about that. <laughs> well art did you enjoy it <laughs> yeah for the three seconds i was there it's pretty good <laughs> uh <laughs> well okay jim before i don't want to get too much on this but just hit us on this because it's a guy that a lot of people knew and and a lot of people didn't know because people that have gotten into the sport recently and and waterfowling recently might not know but but butch butch was not really a duck hunter is that correct that is correct. Butch was not a a big time duck hunter. Um, and now Butch loved, he duck hunted some as a kid, and he loved duck calls and the duck call business, and he really loved contests and stuff and all the people that come in and out. Uh, but he was not a duck hunter. 
uh, for like he wasn't going duck hunting every day. He wasn't doing none of that. But he worked on people's duck calls, and in a way, it was probably a good thing he wasn't because he was in the shop there when folks would come back from hunting in the morning, and he'd service their calls or sell them calls or get calls to Max. And it, it, if you look back, it was probably a good thing that he was in the shop building duck calls instead of duck hunting, to be honest with you. Because um, you guys were out duck hunting. Right, right, right. Um, and, and he, you know, even though he wasn't a duck hunter, he was a really good duck caller. And as we started doing more TV stuff and video stuff, it was fun getting him in the field and, and getting him on hunts and, and getting him calling ducks and doing different things. And, and he... He enjoyed it. He had a good time doing it. Did he uh, – was he just a local guy? There yeah, born and raised there. Yeah, born and raised in Stuttgart. Um, was it probably as talented as duck call builder and duck calling coach as he was. He's probably a better baseball coach. Really? Um, he coached Little League Baseball and then went on to uh, coaching – little higher level and won several coaching legion ball and won several state championships probably better known locally as, as a baseball guy wow wouldn't have guessed that no a lot of people don't um it, it's fun you still hear people talk about you know playing ball and coaching against butch and butch was a unique unique personality uh, he he had a he was kind of a uh, that ain't what I want. Um, he was kind of a uh, volatile person. He'd get pretty excited. And he wasn't afraid to tell you his opinion. And he'd cut yeah. a couple cut a couple fingers off on the table saw building duck calls. He'd get mad at you. He'd take that nub and he'd get up there on you and he'd be poking you in the chest. Bang, bang, <laughs> bang, 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 bang. And he'd make it hurt, too. I guess you, you, you evidently still remember it, huh? Yeah, exactly. Some of the early days of practicing in the old shop, You'd be over practicing, getting ready for contest in the summertime. He'd put you in the back room. He'd lock the shut door and lock it from the outside. And uh, he wouldn't let you out. He's done. You had to keep blowing. And you'd come out of there soaking wet. And if you messed up, he'd chew your butt about something and whatnot. But it truly did. Um, it truly did make you better anyway. Well, so so you go from you go from a guy that kind of got involved with a company like R&T. You worked through the guiding, through working at the shop, through the TV thing. You know, I've kind of been somewhat of, I feel like this is an outsider's point of view. I feel like you were definitely the face of that company for a lot of people in this generation, for sure. Now, I think that's probably, there's probably some guys that are more into the um, custom handmade call line and the craft, the brewery type stuff and all the stuff that R&T is doing now that maybe saw, you know, maybe more aligned with some of the stuff John had going on. But for a lot of duck hunters, you know, for a lot of just straight up duck hunters, you were the guy that kind of people looked to when they thought of R&T. And I'm sure there are people that thought you owned R&T just because you were always out and about with R&T. But how does it, how does it feel, Jim, to go from a spot like that? And I know there's good and I know there's good and bad and business decisions, one thing, but how does it feel just it has to feel a little bit different leaving a company like that, that you've have an identity with and you've helped create the brand of and market and kind of part of the lifeblood of that company. It has to feel a little bit different walking away from that. It, it, it was a very weird feeling and still is, to be honest with you. You know, um, I still got the rocking R's up there and it's, it, it, it's kind of a tough deal yet at the same time, it, it may have been. Hi. Hi. Missouri. 
Oh, uh, actually, I'm lost. I was trying to get to Fayette, but <laughs> hit the wrong highway, and I'm I had to get turned around so somewhere. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Y'all, excuse me, just a minute here. I'm a toll road. Life's a highway. Best way to get back on and go back. So can I turn around and get back on? Joe. Okay. I'll figure it out. Thank you. That's proof this podcast is definitely going in the wrong direction. Yeah. No joke. It's not screaming, boys. No, sorry about that, y'all. No, you're fine. So, so Jim, that where I was, yeah. yeah, I was saying like, how is it tough leaving a spot that you've helped to build and create a brand and an identity for, and that you've tied your identity to so closely throughout all these years? Yeah, that was, you know, that was a gut wrenching process to make that decision. You know, there's a lot of thought went into that, and um, trying to weigh that all out w was difficult. And I guess what kind of drove me was. I had gone as far as I could at R&T and that, that please don't take that as a slight to John, Angie or the company or anything. It's not what it is. It, it but it was what it was. Um, I couldn't go any further. It was, it was either time to make a move or stay there. And I kind of felt things needed freshened up, shakened up a little bit. Sometimes I feel we get stagnant at times and it was an opportunity to make a pretty good vertical leap, but stay within the industry and still stay within the duck call realm a little bit. I'm still going to be duck hunting. Uh, like I said, the rock and R is still at rich and tone. It's still being produced there and, I, and I'm still tied to it. So that makes it a little softer, but to your point, yes, it is. It is really, it was really hard to make that move. And this is one thing that I, that I thought of and I probably shouldn't have, but the first second, you know, when I heard that you were, making a move first thing I thought about was I was like god dang it what about Blake just because you and Blake are such a good team doing what you're doing it had to be tough leaving Blake too oh man yeah it was it was it was really tough and um you know we I talked to him about it told him what was happening and um and hopefully we'll get the chance to work together more in the future doing a few other projects and it's for this year for I don't know when this podcast is going to air but it, it will probably be confusing to some folks because for this broadcast season, I will still be co-hosting RNTV for the hunts I did this past year, for past duck season, moving forward. So for quarters three and four of this year, I'll still be co-hosting RNTV. Now all the all the producer stuff, all the network stuff, that's Sean Stahl's taking care of all that now. Um, but people go, well, I thought Jimbo went to work for Drake, but I still see him here. So that'll probably be confusing for some folks. Um, the folks at Drake have been wonderful. They said, look, if it takes a year to make this transition, we're good with that. Um, and everybody's on good terms. So um, I guess for me, I'm in the win-win position of, of getting a new, fresh opportunity, uh, yet at the same time, not burning bridges. That's a good thing. Any change, even little ones are tough, but, you know, a major one like that, it, I know it, it – uh, it can just be a little stressful for a little while, even if it's all good, just because it's different and unknown. Yeah. The unknown, I guess, is the hard part. Um, at the same time, it's, you know, it's easy. I've worked alongside of Drake, as you know, since its inception. I knew uh, the founder, Tate Woods, when he was still at Avery. So I, I have been around him some and knew of the company and knew their products. And it just opportunities have 
as they have sold and under the acquisition, um, kind of, I'm not going to say uh, a refacing or renaming, maybe revitalizing of a pretty strong brand in the, in the outdoor industry. And it's, uh, it's fun to be part of that with the new ownership. Let's put a team together to make this brand what it can be. And that's, that's kind of the exciting stuff. Um, already got my hands in some uh, product development ideas, um, some rework, reworking ideas, and uh, a lot of cool stuff going on um, that, that'll be really interesting in the, over the next couple of years. And I, as you know, from manufacturing, from ideation to prototyping to production sometimes takes a good bit of time, but uh, it's not all bad either, and it's really fun to be a part of. Well, and sometimes, you know, you think something's going to be easy and it's very hard. And other times you think something's going to be really hard and it's very easy. And sometimes things just never do work out and you got a great idea and it just sits on the daggum idea block and never gets past there. That's right. It can be great and it can be frustrating. Yes, for sure. But that's what makes it good. You know, that's kind of makes it fun. Yeah. Obey traffic like, laws, like be alert, and use voice commands while That's right. Driving. You just never know. It's like when it works out, it's awesome. And some days you think it's going to be badass and you get the whole crew together and it's horrible. And some days when you go by yourself and you don't think it's going to be worth a damn, it's a burner. That's right. You just, you, but if you don't go, you don't know. And that's and kind I, of what this deal is all about. Well, and, and another thing is we can say it time and time again, but you look at the conditions, you look at your abilities, you look at what you, tools you got like on duck hunting, the same with something on like business, you, you stack the conditions in your favor as best you can and roll with it. That's right. That's but, exactly right. And that's all we can do, you know, uh, put everything you can in your favor and move forward. And, you know, here's the other thing. You can't look back. Um, you know, that's kind of the hard part. You can't look back. You, once you move forward, you got to keep moving forward, you know. Um, like duck hunting or turkey hunting or anything else, you made that move. You made it, now you own it, but you just keep going. That's Jimbo right. sounds to me and looks to me like it's kind of like this drive. You're just kind of figuring out as you go. You said you're going to be on a highway the whole time. It seems like you've been in the subdivision the whole time. Man, <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to get turned around and figure out where I'm going. <laughs> I, when I, look, I said, man, what's going on here? I seen 44, and I said, Oklahoma. I said, God dang, I was. how'd I do that? <laughs> uh, Jenna, and, how about breakfast? Just to stay yeah, up. Have, how about breakfast? So I'm going to go up here and hit the direction button and see if I can figure out how to how to just cut over. She just may be SOL. You're going to pay the state more. You're going to pay the state more tax money than if you live there. <laughs> Man, that's one call. thing about you cut through Oklahoma, and uh, you you going to pay you some some uh, tolls. I can promise you that. For sure. Uh, Jim, what was your, what was your, I feel like we'd be remiss before we get too far away from this. I want to still hit a little bit more on, on what you're doing, the new direction you're going. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 But I also want to hit on, you know, I feel like a lot of people know you as the, or, you know, when I first started duck hunting, it was not that far removed from, from your world title. Um, where does that rank as far as part of your memories at, at R and T? 
Man, I'll tell you, you know, and now that I've now that I got one, it's probably doesn't as important as it was before I was able to win it. But it was a uh, something I wanted to do and a goal I set for myself. And when I finally won it, it was it was a great feeling. I can promise you that. The the uh, and then when I went back and looked, I'd won every round, and it just it, it my stars aligned that night. And that's a feeling I wish everybody could get. It's a, it's, it was right up there with the day. I'm not going to say it was quite the same as the morning peanut was born, but it's, it's, it's a similar type of thing because I was saying, wow, this deal I worked for, bam, you got it. You obtained it. Nobody gave it to you. Uh, you didn't buy it from anybody. You flat earned it. And there was five people behind the wall back there that agreed, or at least three of them did. And that, that is what makes that work. So on a deal like the world, Jim, and, you know, it seems like the line between success and failure in business and in um, life and hunting and I'm calling, I'm assuming it's the same way, but I want to ask, you know, I go and listen to a duck call competition and I hear some really good duck callers and there's, I can tell the really good ones from the really bad ones, but an untrained ear, it can be at times tough to tell the really, really good ones from the great ones on that day. So Tell me, though, when you're at a thing like the Worlds and you're in that final room, and how many people are in the finals at Worlds? Oh, it varies from year to year, but typically there'll be about 12 to 14 in the third round. Okay, so let's say your top four or five guys on any given year, whatever. How much, how much separation is there typically like when you won? I mean, how close, how close a race are we talking? I mean, it just seems like – it just seems like it could be so close at times when you, when you listen to it. You bet. And it, and it can be for sure. Um, pretty much you figure, you know, there'll be probably some ties. So you start the third round, there'll be probably 10 points between the top 12 guys. Um, a lot of times the winner is, he is, he's already ahead. Typically sometimes the winner is tied for first, but there's, Typically, the winners kind of stand out most of the time. Uh, in the past few years, there's been a few guys that, that were tied for first after the third and had to have a call off at the world. Um, but typically about 10 points, and then once you get down to the final five, it, it gets really close. Now, it's got to come down to a point per person at some point in time. So they're not there's not half points in the world duck calling. So um, the leader may have a point or two point, three point lead maybe, but then everybody else will be like probably about a point apart. What are they listening? Like to separate a point, are they, okay. So what I'm asking is, can you blow a really good routine and still just get beat that day? Like, is yes. there a certain, how much style is there and how much is it the routine that you need to stick to? Man, we see that's, that's that personal part of it. That That's that, the human element right there. So everybody can do what they're supposed to do and go through the five things they judge on hail call, feed call, comeback call, lonesome hen, single quacks. And then the fifth thing you're judged on is how well you put it together, how well you paint the picture kind of thing. So everybody's kind of got the same standard that you're going to be judging by within that standard. Um, there's a lot to it, uh, you know, tone, cadence is there and this blows a lot of people mind about main street calling who thinks it's not real there should be some element of realism in there somewhere um how you blend from one sound to another how well you execute 
what's your timing like? All the little things that make a difference. There's little nuances that will be the difference between a point, between two guys that were pretty good. And the more you're around it, the more you recognize that. Um, example, just a plain old basic quack or lonesome hen is hugely important to that overall score. Uh, or how, how you paint the picture with a uh, – you know, the feed call to come back, or do you come all the way down on the comeback or do you stay on top, you know, and, and, uh, all of that stuff plays in to, to blowing a good routine. And if good judges are good, they're recognizing that. And, you know, the first round, not shoot, you have everybody tied up. Um, the, the, uh, Second round, you start to separate. The third round, you're really starting to separate. At least that's me. Y'all bear with me. I go back to the toll booth here again. I'll get back on the right track. Next window, please. Where's she at here? Must take a ticket. How do I take it? We need to wire it. Hey, I might have to get y'all sending some money. Peanut, you're oh. buying cash. Do what? Peanut, you're buying. I'm out of money. That's right. She's going to buy supper tonight. Um, anyway, back on the contest discussion. Man, your people ain't going to want to listen to this at all. Um, They're used to it. Back on the contest discussion. The fun part of I say fun. The fun or the frustrating part of it is when you knew you blew, blew good and you don't know why you didn't get the win. But then you go – if you'll really study it and really think about it and listen to – listen to what everybody does you'll kind of know where it's at so in 99 i was second place by i think a point or two points to barney caleb and barney caleb i would tell you in his prime was a bad man he was an excellent caller of ducks and he was an excellent contest caller and there's not a lot of them are both uh, and you can tell the ones that are duck hunters and duck callers and barney caleb isn't one. Um, and i was man i was dejected I'd almost rather get cut in the first round than be second place. Uh, and then when I went back and listened and think of to both rounds, I knew immediately where it was. And it just – it is what it is. It's not that you did a bad job. You just didn't execute like you should in the back. And then no different than anything else. And I always get aggravated when people say so-and-so beat so-and-so. Well, if you really blew good, you probably – or didn't blow good, it's probably more on you than it was them, you know. Uh, but that was part of the fun, and it was fun with guys like Barney that were fun to compete with. You know, they made you tougher, and everybody was behind you when you were behind the stage back or behind the stage. You know, everybody got along. Sure, you wanted to win, but it seemed like more people supported each other then. Nowadays, you see a little more, a uh, little more for the throat to the jugular kind of thing. We all want to cut up, and go blow the contest, and go drink beer somewhere. So, take take. Well, I don't want to get off on the contest rabbit hole because I could ask a hundred questions about that. But give me give me your give me a couple guys that you. So you mentioned Barney. Give me a couple guys that you feel like deserve mention in the contest world that you blew against, Jim. Some guys that stood out to you, whether that was for a unique style or just because they were that damn good, or, yeah. or what the case was. And it, there, there's several. The first few to come to mind would be John Stevens, hard to beat his creativeness. Uh, and, and he executed and he worked hard. You know, he, he worked as hard or harder than anybody did to get there. 
Um, how much Crawford you, for Zobel. Jim, yeah, how much that? are you talking about practicing going up to these to these to the worlds? Like, I mean, how much how much work goes into this? I, I feel like I need to ask that too. Yeah, so everybody's different, right? So you can over you can call too much and get shanks and get to where it's not fresh and not it gets too you just lose it. Um, but I, I try to put in, you know, work hard hour a day plus two hours a day sometimes. And then once you get things dialed in right, you know, I'd, I'd go – you'd start like this. You'd start working on bits and pieces and parts of a routine. Uh, so I'd blow hail calls. I'd blow transitions. And I tried to build a routine where, in my mind, I could pick it up and start anywhere and stop and not have to do uh, – you hear a lot of guys will have to make one sound to do another. You hear – you ever heard a, a guy just learn duck call and he goes – Got to hit that first sur note before you can get started. So I always tried to work on executing each part of the routine. Hail call. The, the, the hail call is a big part, but you, I'd break it down into the into the actual top end hail calls, and then all the ducks in the middle. Some folks would call transition. Then how you would start your feed call, the first feed, into the middle feed, into the step up, into the comeback, into after the comeback, and finishing them out. So I would try to work on all those different parts early on. Once you got that dialed in, unless I was making a change, I would practice on executing the routine. So when I practice in the evening, I go and practice, I pick the dog, duck call up like I was on stage, do a warm up, and then blow. And then I'd try to figure out what need work on. So I'd listen to it. I need, I need to work on this. I need to work on that. Where am I struggling? And I'd try to work on those parts I was struggling on. Then I'd go back and blow a routine. So – then other people, they just bang out routines, bam, 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 bam. And, you know, for until the, your lips wouldn't hold out. And, and that that's how you built all the muscle. You could tell when you hadn't been practicing much, you, back to second routine, back of your cheeks right here would be unbelievable sore, and your lips would go numb and give out. You couldn't keep air in the call. You've probably had that hunt on, you know, you're working, trying to break a high bunch of ducks, and your lips just go numb. So – that first week, and then after that, he never runs out of air. Coming, coming from That's the loudest week. caller I've ever it's hunted with. <laughs> Ira acts like he barely calls. To you all who haven't hunted with him, he he's gonna hit him with that hail number no matter. I'll be, I'll be like feeder and be like Ira, here we go. And I'm not saying he scares him, but it's pot calling the kettle black a little bit. Well, it's with purpose, though. It's with timing. It's not like call to you, turn blue in the place, then take a big gasp and go again. When Ira's cooking breakfast and I'm out there calling, I he he could cook breakfast and get his limit, and we don't miss out on that many groups. So, I mean, calm her down. Anyways. Jim's been there when we're all in the blind, stuffing our faces and can't call because we got mouths full of biscuits and – God bless Joe. He's out there intermittent fasting, and he's he's doing all the work besides pulling the trigger while we're in there getting fat. <laughs> as long as it all works out, man, that's the deal. Well, it is it is always fun. But you you said um, John, and then you said I think you said Trey Crawford. Is that where you went next? Yeah, yeah, I went next. Trey, Trey next, man. Trey was a duck. Uh, Trey is a really good duck hunter and was really good duck caller in the woods. And you could hear that in his routine, him and Barney both. You could tell they were duck hunters. Uh, Trey Bo feed call was 
fantastic. And Trebo made you think. And this is, I think, the key to the guys that are serious duck hunters is if you're judging them or just if you just really listen hard, this is where painting that picture matters, is you can tell whether, where the ducks are and what the ducks are doing by the way they're calling. And I think that's very important. Um, so you got to give John and Trey credit for that. There, there's a lot of style right there. Um, then you got to thank another one that done really good everywhere he went. Um, he scored well wherever he was. It didn't matter. And, and to some way, some people would got go out in the world. This Bernie boy always win these contests. He's, he's very basic. He's very clean, but he wins all the time. Um, he was tough. And, but that's what made him so tough is he was so simple. He didn't mess up. He had great flow, great rhythm, and he just sucked you in. Um, and he, he was just that guy. Um, and that those, those were guys in my time that you always looked up to. Um, of course, there have been others too, you know, uh, Logan Hancock, Brad Allen. There, there's a lot of uh, – I'm probably forgetting people who are, who are going to listen to this and be mad at me for not mentioning their names, but – there's a lot of really good duck callers out there. It's changed in the last few years. Main Street calling's kind of fell out of vogue, if you will. There's not as many people doing it, uh, but it's still fun. And it, it's still, I think, the higher discipline. Um, I love the meat calling contest. Of course, I'm a big part of the, the world cut down and the cut down contests. Um, I, I do enjoy them for a different reason, but I, I do think the Main Street duck calling is the higher discipline in it. I hate that people aren't as excited about it as they once were. Well, you probably, you probably contributed enough to that with your work with the different cut down calls and popular, you know, popularizing those and stuff. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you're, you're 100% correct. You're 100% correct. So it's all fun though. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you gotta, let me hit you with a couple hunting questions that are, our listeners here have had and then we'll tie her back in with a couple more questions that we have but um this is for this is for both or this is for everybody actually um what is your opinion on and there's a couple different ones but the one we'll start out with on turkey hunting it was the one we got twice what's your opinion on hunting with a turkey fan man that's a good one there's a lot. There's a lot going on there, and I'm, I'm going to kind of give a plug to the organization I'm involved with. Uh, I'm co-chair of a 501c3 organization called Turkeys for Tomorrow, and we've been getting a lot of people contact us from both sides about we need to stand stand tall and proud against that and denounce hunting over male turkey decoys, reaping, fanning, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think we need to tell folks how to hunt for one thing as it is legal. And until we can prove that it's absolutely detrimental or causes additive mortality overall in the big picture to adult gobblers, then I don't think we need to say anything about it other than the safety issue on public ground. I'd be dang if I'd use one on public in public woods. That all being said, I have done it. It's fun and cool, I guess but it's not my favorite way to hunt a turkey. Um, but it can be successful. However, I, I remember a time out in Kansas, big old pretty alfalfa field. There's four or five gobblers out there. I said, hey, I'm going to try this fanning deal. I got my fan out like everybody does. And 
I got out there behind it and I go crawling across this alpha alpha field and I'd hold it up and I'd shake it at them and I'd yelp at them and I thought, well, hell, they're supposed to come running at me. And I got as close as I could. I got a little further and I tried it again and I'd yelp, pow, 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 pow. And they'd look up at me, I'd show them that fan and no good. Um, so I've seen times where it didn't work. Uh, I was on a farm with some guys couple years ago and they pulled their fan out and them turkeys turned around and ran the other way um that, must been that all being said, what's that i said it must have been a jake fan no, no it was not a jake fan to be honest with you i'm just kidding uh, you galvers know, get they're getting their ass kicked by a bunch of jakes right 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 no it, it was a full round fan but anyway i've seen times where it didn't work i've seen times where it works really good you know or a jake decoy um do what you want. I, I'm not going to take a position on it. Um, be safe. Be legal. Hunt smart. Um, but it's not my favorite way to kill a turkey. One of my favorite ways to kill a turkey is one of the last hunts I had with Ira behind his house. Uh, we went to a turkey on the limb, yelped at him a little bit, saw him fly down. He comes strutting up a ridge to us. Now that's, that's as classic as it gets right there. Ira, what about you on the fans? I know you will use them. Uh, I mean, you know, at home for Easterns, man, I'm pretty much minimalist. I mean, I don't take a blind. I don't take a decoy. It's just me, my gun, and a call. And go try to find a blowdown somewhere because they will pick you out sitting on the front side of a tree. So I use I use that to my advantage. But uh, hunting these big, mature woods around here that you can see 200 yards through, I don't use or bring any of that, um, partly because I move so much. And partly because, uh, you know, it just decoys are a pain in the butt. And and in my experience, a lot of times, Easterns aren't super responsive to a fan in the woods as much as, as some of the other subspecies are. But where I think it can really help a guy is uh, if you have a season like this where spring's late, the birds stay flocked up for a long time, you got a turkey that's end up and he's not paying any attention to your calls or anything else, you can at least change things up sometimes by showing them a fan and you may push them or they may all come running or at least, you know, it's a change. If you've tried to get them in and they're just not doing it, sure, you can wait them out and try them again in two hours or whatever, but you can uh, you can lay all your cards on the table with that fan and a lot of times it's going to go from uh, pretty boring to pretty exciting real fast. Mm-hmm. Uh Joe, before you give your answer, and I'm sure you've got a great opinion. Um, I'm not opposed to using the fan. I don't want to sound like I am. And to Iris' point, there's a lot of times in the woods, um, turn my camera back on here, it, it, just having the fan, not to go chase them around, but just pick it up and show it to them. You know, I think a lot of times, like if you might raise it up, raise it down, just show it to them and just set it back down. I, I think that can be extremely effective, uh, used as a great tool at the right time. And it's easy to carry. You're not toting a whole decoy. And you're using that with your calling to create that illusion. And that's what we want to do, whether it be ducks or turkeys. We're trying to create an illusion uh, to talk them into giving up. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's no question that can be effective. I, You know, nobody – I, you know, the reason I hunt by myself most of the time is because a lot of people don't like the way I like doing stuff, which is completely fine, and I really don't blame them. But I don't <laughs> – 
I don't like using turkey fans. I've done it one time. It worked. I shot one. And when I got done, I was like, oh, I was like, that sucked. I just don't think it's fun. I mean, it's exciting when it's all going on. Don't get me wrong. But I'm lucky and I'm fortunate enough to get to hunt a lot. I hunt a lot of days and I have a lot of my own farms that I have that my family either owns or I own or I have exclusive rights to. And I, and I have set my life up. And really, when I was in ag retail, one of the biggest drivers in wanting to quit ag retail was I couldn't turkey hunt very much when I wanted to. And, you know, if it didn't rain, you weren't turkey hunting. And that's just, it sounds so stupid to say, but really, I was like, I remember telling my wife so much. I'm like, I can't, I'm gonna have a panic attack. I can't, I just can't, I can't do this. And I want to be able to turkey hunt a lot and I can. And so if I don't get them, I, I'm not, I don't get them. If I can't call them to me, I don't want to hunt with a D I don't hunt with a decoy ever. If I can't call them to me in the woods or on the edge of a field, if I can't get them to come to me with the sound, then no problem. I'll try them again tomorrow. I have the ability to hit a bunch of different farms. So if one doesn't want to come, that's fine. And it's made me a lot better turkey. It's made me a lot better turkey hunter though, not relying on any of that stuff. Just made me a better caller knowing when and where using the land better that's just how i prefer to do it and i'm not saying that phantom's wrong i just i think it takes for me it's not about the killing them it's about how i kill them and if i go on an out-of-state trip or anywhere else and i don't i come home without one i've done that plenty that doesn't bother me too much um and and one other reason i don't like using a fan or really anything i never i mean it's so stupid and it's probably not even right but i don't use locator calls i don't use anything whenever i play blackjack i love playing blackjack i always stay on a 16 if the dealer's got the right card, because I would rather them bust than me be out. I want to stay in the game as long as I can. So if I'm hunting a bird behind my house or uh, my wife's grandpa's place or one of my places that I own, we don't have a ton of turkeys. I don't want to show them something that they're going to get scared of and remember tomorrow. So if I got to wait till tomorrow, if I got to wait till next week, if I never kill that turkey, I really don't give a shit, but I never feel like the worst feeling in the world is when I walk out of the woods and I'm like, man, I screwed that up. I moved when I shouldn't have. I scared that turkey. He flew off. He shut up. Like, I can't take that enough to where I beat myself up enough about it that I just like, when I was younger, I was like, I got to learn how to call better and learn how to make more right moves and be more patient. And so I don't like using them myself, but, but I know a lot of people that have a lot of success with them. I will say this for Joe. Joe doesn't walk out of the woods very many days without a turkey. Dude, the dude is good at highly efficient killer. Um, I got I got one thing to say, and then I got a quick story. The thing I want to say is there's a whole lot of turkeys in this world whose lives have been saved by decoys because, you know, you hear a bird gobble, you got to go put those damn things out there. They're going to bust you half the time, and then you want to make a move, and you got to go pick them up, and then you got to – they're just, a, you know, they're a lot to deal with. I'm not a huge fan. I hardly ever hunt with them, but I do have a real good story. Joe and I, the first time that I ever had a turkey think I was a, another gobbler, Joe and I were hunting Jesus. out in the we're, we're walking down this railroad track, and I had one of those goofy Jekyll and Hyde Avery decoys. It was white head on one side, red head on the other, <laughs> cumbersome. Right. And we're walking down these railroad tracks, and we see a turkey like, a gobbler steps up on the tracks, like, I don't know, three, 400 yards away. I mean, he's a little dot. And we're looking at train. It was an old train track. Yeah, yeah. And we're looking at him, and Joe goes, man, he's running. And he goes, wait a minute, he's running at us. And this turkey's running as fast as he can down these train tracks at us. And he goes, I think he thinks we're a turkey. And I said, well, hell, it, okay. 
He goes, the sun, the sun was behind us. And, and I'm just, I'm just holding on to the decoy. I'm not holding it up or anything. I, I have no idea how you're supposed to, you know, I'm just going to stick in the ground. So he goes, man, put that decoy in front of us. So he's behind me and we're sitting there and I put this decoy in front of me and I'm going to stab it in the ground. Well, it's all rocks. So I can't get it in the rocks. You know, I'm trying to jab the decoy in the rocks and I can't get it in there. And I got my old 20 pounds, double barrel Satori, you know, and so I'm trying to hold the gun and the turkey's running at us. And I got this stupid decoy I'm holding on to and the wind's blowing about 20 miles an hour. And he gets to about 50 yards and I'm like, okay, something's going to have to change here. And so I, I kind of get my gun propped up to where it's kind of holding the decoy and he gets to about 40 yards and the decoy blows over and falls. So there's me and Joe sitting there. It's like the dress fell off and uh, it was making <laughs> great time. And I proceeded to shoot over him twice. And, and that, so. <laughs> At that point, at that point, my first thought was, boy, I wish this was an operational railroad track and it'd take us out of our misery because <laughs> I felt so stupid, but it, it, it was all working good. There's, 400 and some odd pounds of men laying behind a four, what a 48 by 32 decoy. And I was like, this is, there's no way this is going to work. And yeah, when that decoy fell over that Tom, he hit on the freaking brakes. Now he was like, uh, I see clearly now I went from 400 to 40 and something ain't looking right. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. You know, another little story about fanning and reaping. I, I don't know that I could prove this. I'd have to go back and look and research a bunch of videos and TV shows. But Ross Jules and I last night, I know y'all both know Ross, mm -hmm. we're talking about this very thing. Um, the first iPhone TV was the first national TV that on um, some videos of the days of YouTube. But I think RNTV was the first one to ever show it being used on television. Um, no, not that I'm, it's kind of a cool little trivia point. And again, I can't necessarily prove it, but I can remember the phone calls I got from people in the early days of the show. The early days are on TV. We did 52 weeks of television, not 26. So I love that because turkey hunting is my other passion in life besides duck hunting. So I could go turkey hunting a lot. Uh, and I had a guy call me. He said, man, I'm going to call Tom Kelly on you. I said, well, I guess you just need to call him. I don't know what he's going to do. But um that would have been, let's see, we started RNTV in 06. So it would have been probably the, that was probably shot in 05 or 06. So it aired probably spring or Q, quarter one or two of 07. So um, that doesn't sound like that's been very long ago, but that's been a minute. No, that's right. It, it's funny. I, I got, I got a Ross, Ross story. Uh, Aaron called me one day. He's like, man, I need a favor. I'm like, all right. He's like, I need, I need a hunt. I'm like, okay, I, I could probably reach into my bag and get you one. I've been on a couple hundred duck hunts with you. So yeah, what's up? He's like, well, I got this buddy coming Ross and Kit Peck and Aaron. And he was like, I, I need you to put us on a Turkey in a bad way. Cause Ross has never killed an Eastern Turkey and Ross has killed a pile of turkeys. Mm -hmm. Ross is a killer, buddy. He's a and good day. Kip had never killed one either. And I think Kip might've been the one that killed this bird on my place, but Aaron's like, hey, man, we'll meet you at Casey's, which if you have ever hunted around here, if you ain't meeting at Casey's, you ain't shit. I mean, just I don't care <laughs> if I'm 20 miles going the other way from Casey's. I'll meet you at Casey's. It's just a good starting point. But uh, anyways, they're going to meet me at Casey's at, you know, whatever, 530. 
So of course I'm there. I had to work that morning, so I didn't get to hunt with them, but I was just going to take them to a spot. I, it was going to be a layup. So I'm there. They're not. What the hell's going on here? I was like, God, where in the world? So I called Aaron. I'm like, you know, it's getting daylight. I'm like about to have a panic attack. Just like the thought of supposed to be turkey hunting and nobody's. I called Aaron. He's like, hey, man, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. We're rolling through Brunswick. We're going to be a bit. Drop me a pin. I'm like, God dang it. Oh. Yeah, run slow roll. I was like, God dang it. So I was like, man. So I drove down there to the farm, get up there. Of course, birds are hammering. And Aaron and them come sliding in about 30 minutes later. He, Aaron gets out, and this won't surprise either of you two. He's got a pair of gym shorts on. Now, it's like, you know, it's first week of turkey season. Uh, chilly. Kind of chilly. And I was like, hey, man. Uh, in the 20s. Yeah, I'm like, not only are you late, now you got to get effing dressed. What is going on here? And he's like, nah, man, I'm rolling in the shorts. And I was like, why? Well, man. Uh, forgot my pants so we're gonna roll in shorts we're gonna call it good i was like okay whatever man so get your shit straight so they got all their stuff out and i get them down to the woods <laughs> and i said well there ought to be a bird like here and i pointed kind of in the direction right when i point one gobble so he's like all right we'll take it from here so they go on hunting i'm like at least i've got them this far if they got shorts and shit on i i can only do so much but they're hunting there there's a bird there so i go back to my office about 10 minutes later i get a call I was like, there's no way they've already got one. Aaron goes, hey, man, who's the dude on the four-wheeler blowing the owl hoot tube? And if there's one thing that makes me mad worse than missing hunting is if somebody's fooling around on the farm. Like, if you want to play a prank on me, go in front of my trail camera there on the one farm there that I live on. It just, I just have a complete meltdown, panic, anxiety attack. But I was like, what do you mean there's a dude on a four-wheeler? He's like, yeah, man. He's like, he's on a four-wheeler. He's riding around calling on a hoot tube. So then I'm like, Aaron is not on my property. He's not on our farm. There's he's some, he's, I, I was like, what is going on? Well, they'd gotten down to the corner of the woods and the neighbor was driving around. I don't know exactly what was going on, but he was trying to locate this bird. So they got this bird coming on a string. All of a sudden here comes the Arctic cat 650 tooling up, turns off, hammers the hoot tube. The Turkey lays down, lays down in the woods. And uh, he goes, yeah, man, we got a bird about 50 yards. But he said, this old boy's standing on top of the four wheeler. He's like, what are we supposed to do? I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I've never been in this situation before. I said, I guess hope that he goes on. So he texted me, he said, the old boy left. So guy leaves, of course, and Aaron McCauley luck. Turkey stands back up, proceeds to start strutting, comes right in. They shoot it. It was a great hunt. But from shorts to, to four-wheelers, I, was, I did not think that one was going to come through. But that's another one that's a pretty good turkey hunter. Between Kit Peck, Ross, and Aaron, there's been a lot of turkeys die there. No doubt about that. And I, the, the shorts still, I can hear you. I'm just rolling with shorts this morning, boys. That's just, I can, yeah, I get it. But he what did. a deal. He did that. The other one that year was he asked if he could take his daughter out hunting, uh, her and a friend. And I said, yeah, y'all are more than welcome to. So I, I thought, you know, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'll get him a pretty good spot. So I set up two blinds, one real close to the truck in case the weather was bad or something, and another one kind of where we needed to be. Again, we meet at Casey's and I look in the window. I'm like, dude, who do you got in here? It was Aaron, Poppy, and like four friends. And they get out and they go walking down this trail. Aaron's dragging sleeping bags. They're all in like, you know, pink clothing. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Needless to say, they did not kill one that day, but I think they had a good time. But Aaron has been some memorable turkey hunts with me. <laughs> they were out there. What'd you say, Ira? 
I said, yeah, for the 15 minutes that they were out there. I went, there was birds gobbling. I said, Aaron, you want me to? He said, we're going to sit right here. <laughs> That's funny, right, dude. Jim, Jim, what what is one of your most memorable hunts in north central Missouri? Uh, I know you've got several because I've been on several with you that have been like top shelf, but what what's one that sticks out to you, one or two that sticks out to you from your time coming up here hunting with Ira and Aaron and then even before when you're hunting at HF a lot? Oh, boy, I say uh, I, I got a couple good ones. That's probably – I could argue on where it ranks on my favorite place to hunt list, but it's uh, it's at or very near the top, I, I promise you that. Um, you got to think of, of uh, one that won the award off of on, on uh, early days Love Lake. That was uh, a episode R&T called Snowy Day Green Top. Um, that was a fun one, so it started off. I think it was one of our first trips up there doing television and, and we couldn't hit it no better. One of them big Arctic fronts come in and big push of fresh ducks and good weather. Uh, so the first afternoon we were there, we go to love with Paul's and Tony. Uh, I don't know. I know balls and I, I was trying to remember who's there. It's, it's been a minute, but we hunt the afternoon. I'm like, this is a cool little pond. You know, this might be a uh, we didn't even have a blind there. Maybe oh, yeah, no, Jimbo. we just sat on stools and had like a piece of hog panel in front of us with some brush on it. Um, Joe Weimer blind. Yeah, hey, they worked very well. And, man, we got a couple real pretty bunches in that afternoon in the sunshine. And then I was helping with customers and people were going all different directions and um, got that big snow. And then we hunted love and start off that morning. If Tony and I was customers and we we got them shooting some ducks, and we were videoing. Field hunting was there. Our guys was there. We had a bunch of cameras. Um, anyway, we were just kind of going along, knowing that afternoon all of us were going to hunt. And as the day went on, I don't know how many people came through, but later that afternoon, it was Ira, Jeff. I think it was Mr. Jeff in with us that afternoon. That big bunch come in. Tony, Ira, yeah. Bloss, pretty good pile of us. And we got a, I don't know. Oh, a 2,500 pack in or so, and snow on on the bank. It's just a beautiful hunt. Um, one of them bunches that once they start, they just light for five minutes. You know, you just you can just let them come. And the beauty of it is, wouldn't shoot into them. So that that's pretty memorable. Uh, I even watched that again before I left. When I cleaned out my office, I had to pull that up on hard drive and watch it again. Um, that's pretty cool. That's that's a good one. Um, Countless others in heaven. Uh, a one in the ice, man. Where was that at when Blake was sitting behind me in the water? Nothing to lean his back on, and all he kept his balance with was I could feel him kicking me in the ass because he was using. was in Fat Boys. That was, <laughs> was that was a cool. One. Where was that? That was on LG there, I think. No, that one was uh, either at Stewart's or the ECP. Uh, EC ECP is where that was at. That was just a great hunt. We shot them good that afternoon and just the situation around it. Um, man, there's so many, it's hard to keep keep up. Um, Joe, oh, I think the one we did with you, Ira, Joe Genzel, myself, Jake and Blake were videoing. Jake was shooting the long lens. Yep. And, and it was – it wasn't it was a great hunt. We shot ducks, but we had to work really hard for them. And when you talk about calling and working together with good hunters, it, it, we literally talked them into giving up. You know, that was a cool hunt. Um, 
had some Wilbur or the Strutter right there, boys. Um, and then let's see, and then what I talk about from this past year is pretty cool, a little tiny. Um, we was hunting money, and it, Ira Corey, a couple of Corey's buddies, myself, and I was tiny since you know he'd been on a good spec hunt, it was his first real duck hunt, and I was sitting there thinking, man, you know, how cool would it be if just old Tiny's first green top happened to be banded? Just to off, just an abstract thought. So no duck come in there working around, and Ira says, shoot him. I said, I might buy my gun. You shoot him. So Ira raises up shoot him. I send Tiny out there after him, comes back. Lo and behold, the sucker's got a band on him, just out of the blue. So here it is. Ira killed the duck, obviously. But I'm thinking in my mind, I got a I got, I've got all of my dogs first and last bands. So I got to come up with a way here. So I just had to start begging. So I start asking Ira if he was in the bartering. And, and of course he was, I told him the story. And I think I made, I made several beds, washed some dishes. <laughs> um, uh, it, we, we worked it out. Ira got the certificate, but I got Tiny's first band on my lanyard. So that, that was a cool yeah, one right loved. there. You know who loved you making the beds and doing the dishes and all that stuff to me was Blake. Blake was dying. Oh, he thought it was hilarious, man. He Why? thought it was hilarious. Hey, the one funny thing about that, Jimbo goes, okay, um, you ready to do this deal? I said, no, no, I'm not. And he goes, what do you need to do? I said, well, hell, I got to go pick up my book and do, do some brushing up. I still you. Jim, I would hope he gave you that freaking – I would hope he gave you that band, Jim. He threw one of mine in the Gulf of Mexico, so I would hope he gave gave you one. He said, I, I'm only keeping it because I don't care about it and you do. I was like, well, that's that's nice of you. <laughs> well, he did, and I'm, proud, I'm glad he did, and I will forever be beholden him. That is a cool story. It was cool. I went hunting, and those guys were sleeping in. I had the band in my pocket, and they said they weren't going to go, so – I wrote a note to Jim and Tiny and left it there on the uh, on the island at duck camp. And I came back from hunting, and Jim, uh, Jim had written a note on the other side and left me a really nice call with his signature on it. So it was, uh, it was cool. That's badass. I know, I know, Jim, we've had – they all kind of run together, but, man, we've had some great hunts in heaven on a couple of those days, some of those sunny mm -hmm. afternoons with Aaron – uh, I know one day, I mean, I know we've had all conditions with both Aaron and I were there, but that one afternoon, it was me, you, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Carroll, um, Blake. Oh, was Joe's dad with us? Yes. Chopper was there. Uh, what's his, uh, let's see, I think Blake Boland was there. Winky, I'm sure, was there. We killed like a eight, seven or eight man limit of, of greenheads. I just remember it being one of those days where it was like, I remember we walked up and there was that log we always take pictures on. And I thought we might fill this thing up because um, it's just going to be one of those days. And it took a little while to get rolling. But when it did, I just remember it being like group after group after group after group after group. That, that's one that really I remember pretty well. I've I got another heaven. I will have fun with this one and you too, probably. Um, I don't ever claim to be a good shot, but that heaven blind brings out the worst of my shooting. <laughs> every year I, I don't know what it is about it and i had some times this year where i actually shot pretty good after that but that, that 
and with when you're hunting with Winky and Ira both, if you start missing, that they're on your ass pretty Oh my god. So, so then then they're in your head, you don't you're not wanting to miss, right? I mean but there's something about that right hand hole in the blind of heaven that I don't know, it makes my eyeballs do wonky things. I can't hit a bullet in the ass with a bass fiddle in this. <laughs> yeah, and then Steve and I are both uh they, yeah, they literally one or two shots, and it's like, what the hell's going on down there? It's like, gee, many Christmas. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if I get to go back this next year, I'm either going to stay outside or I'm going to stand in the middle. I don't know what. Well, Jim, here's one for you. You had a rough go at shooting at heaven time or two, whatever, but I'll tell you the most danger I've ever felt in there was when we had Tommy and Warren in there. And you know, for those who don't know, Tommy and Warner are some friends and they, they're, they've got some really cool farms and stuff, but, uh, but one of them's deaf and one of them is really close to being deaf, very hard of hearing. So when you'd be standing in the blind, like, all right, boys, get, get ready. You know, the ducks are coming and they're working vertical and it's like down, but you know, Hey, get ready. You're, you know, they're deaf, but you're still kind of giving them, all right, boys, here we go. Here we go. And you look over and they're sitting there looking at pictures of their, trip to Tahiti on their phone it's like boys we got freaking ducks and you got to slap them to get them to turn around and so the, by the time they get their gun up oh the duck's on the water and then they can't see the duck on the water for the decoys and it was just a big shit show but finally they were able to wing a couple and Ira was out looking for them and I'll never forget we're standing in the blind and I'm like all right boys we got ducks coming but I was like don't shoot because Ira's out in the decoys again they're deaf they can't hear this they got their guns <laughs> right up pointed out the window and I said, slap Tommy. I said, don't shoot. And he screamed out, Ira, can I kill you? And I, I just remember, I was like, this has gone too far. Hey, you think that's bad. Try taking them turkey hunting. I love those guys, but golly, we, I mean, when you got a face mask on and they can't read lips and they can't oh. hear, man, we've had, uh, we've had some interesting turkey hunts. One night when I I can only imagine what that's like. But Tommy's funny. He's carrying oh, anyway. When the lights, one time the lights went off in town up at Sumner during duck season, we all went up to the tavern and we were, uh, we all had our headlamps on. And, you know, those guys are trying to lip read and we're all talking. You go to talk and look at them and you hit them in the eyes with that headlamp. Tommy'd about fall over <laughs> trying to lip read. And he said, I never wanted to kill you guys so bad as that day. I was like, sorry, man. We we're just trying to talk to you. <laughs> Uh, all right, Jim. So I want to end this before we end it. I want to hit on, um, I want to hit on some of the stuff. And I know that you don't have it all to where you can talk about all the new stuff you guys are working on, but, but broadly with Drake here, you know, so you're the vice president of development. You've got your hand on it. So what seems like relationships within the industry with a lot of different folks in the different direction of several of the avenues that are under the Drake umbrella. Um, what are you most looking forward to and what are some of the things that you're going to be excited about focusing on here this upcoming year? That's a great question. So some, some of that I can't really get into. Um, but I can say this, I get to set in and again, I'm still, like I said earlier, it's a lot like drinking water from a fire hose. Um, so I sit in on, on the marketing team meetings, the, um, content team, product development team, and sales team. So I, I set in on all that and, and get to see kind of how it all gins together. Um, the, I'm excited about some of the product stuff we're getting to work on, some ideas I've had. And I had a big conversation with our, 
um, head designer this afternoon on the way home about uh, some ideas. Um, and uh, along with that, some redesigning of some pretty cool products to make them a little bit more user friendly. That That's fun. And then potential new stuff, you know, uh, the opportunity to, to come up with something new that might be, I don't know, but something that will make people's time in the field either more comfortable or more productive, one of the two, whether it be hard goods or soft goods or whatever that may be. That, that's pretty exciting. And then all the different relationships, working with different people, um, getting to meet expand that horizon of relationships with people I get to get to meet and hang out with. And that's one of the things they told me when I started, just, you know, help us develop relationships. And I, I enjoy the people part of the business, getting to meet new folks and make new friends. You know, I get opportunity to hunt more. Um, not that I, I got to hunt a lot as it was, but I get to spend time in the field with people in different situations. Um, not being even though we're going to be developing a lot of video content, it's not going to be the same as doing a TV show. I, I, I think I'll enjoy that. We probably a lot more still photography involved. Um, and then turkey season, like you talked earlier about using the ag business, you do your turkey on a lot. I get to make, in the past, I get to make a couple of turkey trips a year, a couple of long weekends, but I'll be able to put more effort into spring turkey hunt now for a reason with the old Tom brand and, and putting product use in the field and getting with some folks. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, uh, especially while it's still getting around and peanuts fixed to graduate college. So opportunity to do a little more. So, and correct from the business side here, correct me if I'm wrong, this is just how I see it. And there's been proven time and time again that the way I see stuff ain't always how it is, but the way I see this is, you got Drake, which was, which is a, which I'm going to say is a, has been and was and is, has been a staple in the outdoor waterfowl community for a long time. It was what I would call an iconic brand. It was one of those brands where people were, kids that got into duck hunting were asking for a Drake, um, a Drake three quarter or Drake quarter zip jacket before they were asking for decal or decoys. It was like, man, if I want to be a duck hunter, I got to have Drake. I, that's just, that was just how oh. it was. That and even that, you know, high school kids just want to wear Drake clothes for the Drake yeah. logo, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. It so, whether yeah. they duck hunt or not. Yeah, so it was that, hey, I, it was trendy to wear Drake. It was, uh, if you're there, hunting, you're damn you sure. Go. You know, everybody had the Drake with the, like the waiter coat with the the fleece, the brown fleece they, on. I yeah, mean, I'm- Drake equator. Yeah, and it was good stuff. And I, and I still have that jacket, but- so it, it's like, you see it with some brands, but it was like, it was on a meteoric rise. It was at the top, the top, the top. Well, then these other companies, they, you know, start adjusting and, and focusing and setting their sights and whatever. Well, for whatever reason, this, that, and transitions and that, it seems like some of these other companies that we all know, I'm not going to name them, but have kind of taken right. that space and made yeah. it really crowded. So now it's yeah. like Drake is saying, hey, we're going to refocus here. We're going to reshuffle and let's get back to where we were and, and kind of the trajectory that we were on. And that's why I think bringing in, it's pretty tough to do that with product. You you can definitely make the product better, but it takes people to get behind it, to make it happen and to win people back over. So, you know, the product is the, is the, the bottom line, but the people are definitely the vehicle. So that's why I think it's really a good move on Drake's part, not that they asked for my opinion, but I think it's really cool that they've got you involved with some of this relationship stuff. Cause we all know, 
all, all these companies have great products, but, mm -hmm. but yep. some of the relationships is what really makes a difference um, in the bottom line. And at the end of the day, you bet it's, but you got to have the product and that, that's the big focus we're on right now. Um, once, once you get the product and then work that with building relationships and put it to good use and put it in the field, I think that that's what's going to make the difference. And I appreciate what you said. Um, and that, that was a part uh, that I thought was so cool that they came to me for this and asked me for it. And I, I was one flattered and two humbled that they would come and ask me to, to help them, you know, in, in a pretty crowded situation, they could have went after anybody out there and they came to me and I, I, they may have been, they may have been selling some lip service, but they sure talked me into it. And I'm proud to be there. They're, you know, working with some really cool folks and a really cool team. Well, um, you, you though, don't sell yourself short. Cause there's, I'm sure Jim, and I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I'm sure that there's been other opportunities that have been mentioned or there's other areas that you could have gone. You know, I'm in the marketing business. You could have done a lot of different things. You have a skill set that could have done a lot of things, whether that was in sales and real estate and in, in marketing and in, you know, all sorts of different customer brand relation type stuff. Was there ever a thought, Hey man, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to move on outside of the outdoor industry. It can't be a coincidence though that you stayed within the industry. So talk about what you enjoy about this industry and through the pros and the cons, you have to have felt a tie to it or you would, I feel like you, there's other things you could have done too. It's not like you had to stay in this industry. Correct. Correct. Um, you know, I, I, I have, there has been other opportunities to do other things and I'm, I'm still not uh, giving up the real estate deal either. I think that's something I might can do alongside of what I'm doing now. You know, you and I have had some big conversations about that. The big thing about the outdoor industry for me, that's kind of me. Now, I, there's times, as crazy as it sounds, I miss the condition I miss working. Um, I miss working with my hands. You know, still like to build things and whatnot. Uh, so I, I do miss that at times, but I, you know, I like to be at home. I like to cut wood, like to do, you know, like to do all that. But the outdoor industry is me. It's home. It, it's, it's, it's just me, and I'm. I, I like the outdoors. I like to hunt. I like to fish. Um, the beauty of, of Drake, and even though it, it's, its main thing is a waterfowl company, they're also into fishing. They're into turkey hunting, deer hunting. And while I'm probably better known industry-wise as a waterfowl guy, and then to some point a turkey guy for those who knew me in early days, um, I like to fish. I, I I love to eat deer. I like to big game hunt some. Uh, you know, kind of open some, broaden my horizons a little bit. Not that I'll ever quit duck hunting. You know, gosh, no, that's that's my that's my deal. But or certainly not quit turkeys either. But it give me an opportunity to spread out a little bit and and be a part of the bigger circle of the outdoor industry. I remember growing up as a kid when we lived in West Kentucky. Dad had a, wet, a bass boat. We loved to fish, go to the lake, and I had a jacket. Mom would paint uh, back in the day all the. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, patches. She's like fishing patches, you know, like BASS and Strike King and all that stuff. You know, I used to really love the bass fish. This will give me an opportunity to maybe do a little more of that. Um, just and the people, you know, opportunity to spend time with good people in new places, chasing God's critters that He'd give us here to enjoy for our enjoyment and protein and woods, waters, and fins.
is why I like beating. Oh yeah, I mean, it's an interesting industry, but through through it all, it's 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 cool to see. There there's some the folks that have had longevity in the industry have well relationships. You bet. Relationships are good. And the other part of it is too, it's it's a cool all American story. Where else can say I'm redneck that talks funny, have an opportunity to make a living doing something he enjoys to do, um, and, and a, a decent living at that without a college education. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that and, and probably couldn't have done that in a lot of places. And the opportunity it gives you to, again, I'll say it again, meet new folks and opportunity to spend time in God's great outdoors is, is probably the biggest part of it. That being said, there's office time. You know, that's you got to have a little bit of both. But um, just I think that's just where, where I fit. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. That's a good wrap up and segue into uh, a margarita for Cinco de Mayo. Hey, I like the way you're thinking, buddy. Well, let's, Jim. That's a hell of an idea. How much further have I got to go? Yes, yeah. sir. D depends. What state are you in? I'm actually I'm back in Missouri now, so and I'm almost Arkansas, so we're doing good. Uh, well, tell let's end it with this, Jim. I appreciate you getting on. Thank you very much, and I I know I and I are both excited to see what what kind of stuff you're going to be doing here in your new role, and kind of what kind of role the company takes, and you know not just Drake, but like I'm I'm pretty excited to see some of the stuff going on with non typical and old Tom and that kind of stuff too because you know those are brands that I feel like they have good products they have a good direction and they have a good base and I just think it's cool to see what you guys are going to be able to do there so I'm yeah. I know I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to uh, hunting a little bit this fall too. Amen. Another one you're going to like that's coming back is McAllister going to be coming back strong. Absolutely. So I'm I'm really excited about some of the stuff we got coming with McAllister in the future. Oh yeah. Fall twenty fall twenty two, they they've made some improvements coming up. Fall twenty three, you'll see some stuff. Fall twenty four will really start. And going hunting, you just say when, buddy. We will do it. I know I know I'll plan on being hunting quite a bit, God willing, and I I can't imagine that Ira will not be. You, you know that's right. Uh well let's uh Let's do it again soon, Jim. I appreciate you coming on. And, and like I said, congratulations on the on the great career so far and, and excited to see what the future holds. I appreciate it, guys. I'm honored to be here. appreciate being on here with a couple of good friends that, that I enjoy spending time with. So thanks for having me. Hell yeah, man. Drive safe. Thanks, Jimbo. Drive careful. Don't get lost anymore. I, I think I'm good now, fellas. I'm good. We'll see y'all. See you, man.